From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 460. Today's show is brought to you by ZocDoc and Ladder. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by the man from Six Colors, Mr. Jason Snow. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. I am. You made me sound like a secret agent or something. Yes, the man from Six Colors is here. He knows. Here's the real secret, everyone. to color. Jason knows the seventh color as well, but he just Mm. won't tell you what it is. It's ultraviolet. I have a sales talk question for you. It comes from Zach, who wants to know, Jason, when you are eating leftover pizza, do you oh, eat it cold or do you reheat the pizza? Yeah, with the pizza. We're in a little run here, Mike, of these pizza questions. I have some pizza play follow-up, the, actually, before you get to the snow talk. Okay. Federico right. was happy with the Induya. He said he'll forgive me for hot honey because he's a fan of Induya. Oh, so, good. You know. If you're wondering how the Italians are feeling about our pizza conversations, there's another piece of update for you. Hmm. Okay. Sounds good. I I I, I didn't even know that. I thought you made a mistake and were describing andouille sausage. So I know. Do yeah. It sounds yeah. I'll have to have it sometime when I see it on a menu. I somewhere. think you'd like it. The answer to Zach's question is um, is yes. I do sometimes eat it cold. Uh, I do sometimes reheat it. it. the The question becomes sort of like, do I want to go to the trouble of reheating it or not? Mm-hmm. I am, and this is going to open us up for so much other follow up. But I am deeply against toaster ovens. Okay, shots fired. I like slot toasters. Me too. I like ovens. That's what I like. I have a microwave. Microwave microwaves are not great for reheating pizza. I have a pizza stone. Because I, I cook, especially in the winter, uh, when I don't have my outdoor pizza oven that I cook on, I uh, I I have a pizza stone, and it's really easy to just put cold pizza on the pizza stone, and put it on or or on a sheet of tin foil and put it on 350. Uh, and that's my tip, by the way, is you put for Fahrenheit people 350 degrees. You put the pizza in, you wait until your oven says I've reached 350 degrees, and then you just take the pizza out, eat it. Uh, but it does take a little while because unlike, uh, I'm going to admit here, unlike the toaster oven, uh, it takes a little while to heat up the whole oven. So uh, toaster ovens have got us there. In fact, that's the thing that I I will acknowledge the toaster ovens are superior for. I do not reheat pizza enough to buy a toaster oven and have a big extra appliance sitting on my counters. I have limited counter space. Mm-hmm. Toaster oven, waste of space for me. Sorry. No, thanks. Prefer the slot toaster. Uh, but sometimes I'm, I'm impatient or lazy and I don't want to. And, uh, you know what? Pizza is great cold too. It's just different. So sometimes I reheat it and sometimes I don't. That's just how it is, Zach. Sometimes you feel like it. Sometimes you don't. I agree with you because like so much work when like I have pizza from yesterday and I might just want to just take a munch. Like I don't want to reheat it. It's good cold. It's fine. Like, so you just, you just do the whole thing. You just do it. It's, It's easy peasy. Little real time follow up from uh-huh. um, our friend James Thompson in the Really FM members Discord saying microwave old pizza is just fine. I think fine is emphasized there, so it's fine. And he's right. Like I've done it. I I don't prefer it. But um, uh-huh. is there an interim state between eating it cold and waiting all the time it takes to heat it up? Yeah, and that's the microwave. in which you might microwave it just out of desperation. <laughs> yes, there is, but I don't recommend it. Because it's no. all floppy and not that great, but but again, pizza is good in all of its forms. Yep. For all I know, you could crunch on some frozen pizza and it'd be good. 
why wouldn't it be? We have entered into like a completely new realm of follow up. Like, in that I've been getting just so much follow up about pizza to to yeah. the upgrade feedback, which is fine. We're not going to go over it all, but I appreciate that people are letting me know. I've had multiple people, Jason, tell me that they've gone to the Utah place that you spoke about and had the pizza yeah. and liked it. Like, I appreciate it. Like, if, if this is where people want to send their pizza information to, they can. And you know what you get with us? You don't get any judgment. There's no judgment here. I, I was going to joke and say we ought to start getting pizza-related sponsors, but that already, already got one. <laughs> got the best one already. So don't need to do that. Oh. Not today, though. If you would like to send in a snow talk question of your own, just go to upgradefeedback.com, tick the box that says snow talk, and send one in, and you may help us start a future episode of the show. Uh, next week is the draft. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So if you have any draft related snow talk questions, you might want to send one in. Maybe we'll do one. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll keep you guessing. A little, little bit of a follow up for you, Mike. It's not a box you tick. It's a it's a pop-up, and you have to select the pop-up. Yeah, you know why? On the on my side, on the back, it is a box that I tick to see those. So, yes, you are correct. Ah. It is a, what do they call those? Like a something. Pop-up. A pop-up. Drop-down, pop-up. Drop-down. Like it's a Drop little menu. Down. you got to select from the, select Snell Talk from the menu. Mm-hmm. Well, there you something. go. Do that. Do the, that. The picker, the chooser, the whatever. Just pick it, but don't I'm look for picker. a box to tick, because I'm a chooser. The, only, the only box to tick is the one that says, keep me anonymous. Don't do that unless you need to be anonymous because mm. otherwise I have to call you a nun. Do you want to be called a nun or do you want your real name? You let me know. You'd be a part of Mike's secret pizza tip, line. tip informers. Pizza yeah. tip line. We have some follow-up okay. sent in to the form. Uh, Non-pizza related. Send in information, yes, about uh, passkey sharing. So there was a couple of things here. Adam said, because we were talking about passkey sharing in Upgrade Plus. Last time I was expressing some concern about how would you share uh, passkeys between individuals, like if you have like a shared login. Adam wrote in and said, an account only has a single password, but can have multiple passkeys associated to it. So you don't need to share passkeys. Instead, you register multiple passkeys on a single account. The problem is signing the other person in remotely so they can add their passkey. Signing in someone remotely is kind of like phishing, which is what passkeys are set up to prevent. So currently you would have to be physically together to set it up. So that's fine. Makes sense, I guess. I'm intrigued about what one password are going to do when it comes to that. I think that maybe their implementation might be different. Peter writes in and says one password's passkey support will soon be released, and then passkeys could be shared in a multi-person vault or similar in much right. the same way that existing passwords can be shared. And I took a look at one password's website. They have like a bunch of information about passkeys, which you would understand because like they're trying to be very, very passkey focused. So they still have a business, I suppose. Uh, but I actually think that there is a lot of benefit still to having something like one password for me, I think, when it, even when it comes to passkeys. Because one of the things that concerns me about changing from passwords to passkeys is like, will I still have this like central place where I can manage them all? You know what I mean? Right? Like, what I like about one password is I have all of my passwords in one password. And what I wasn't sure about when it came to passkeys is like, do they just exist in the iOS passwords app? Because I don't want that to be the case for me. Um, but one password, I've put together all this stuff and it looks very easy to save your passkeys into there. And then it also seems like you can share them from there as well. So that's coming on June 6th. Like 
there is is one password's um support for passkeys but i think right now there just isn't a lot of passkeys that you can create but this would make me feel more comfortable personally to move some of my passwords over if i could also still just have them in one password which is where i like my passwords great you use one password right mm-hmm. do you feel any particular way about having your passkeys in there like would that make you more likely to swap over to a passkey login if you could put it in there Right now, I'm happy to use Apple System because they're all just for me. But I, um, I would definitely like to have the ability to share those with Lauren and yep. potentially other members of my fam- family. Um, if if you picture a world where everything's a passkey, then I need a way to share those passkeys, and you know, this would be a, a our existing workflow to use that. So that would be that would be nice. And we all, you know, we use one password to share all sorts of other yep. stuff too. You know. Frequent flyer mile numbers and all sorts of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Driver's license numbers. Yeah. Jason, you have experienced the quad box. The quad box. Quad box. Everyone, the quad box has arrived. Can you? Uh, so this was the multi-view Multi-view. Yes. For the TV sports stuff on Apple TV 4K. Can you uh, tell me what the quad box experience was like? Um, I think it's really good. It's different from my experience with the Fubo TV quad box that I use for my um over the top. Uh, I'm yes, it's comparative that quad box like time absolute here. Absolute gibberish. <laughs> it's the Fubo, Fubo TV. It's comparative quad, quad box. box. One, well, Mike, welcome to comparative quad box. Uh huh. I'm I'm your professor, Jason. 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 Boxes. Oh, that's good. That's good. It's very refined. So the way you work, the way it works is there's an additional square. This is the latest version of TVOS. So in addition to when you when you bring up the kind of uh, the player UI, there's like the picture in picture button, and there's a uh, uh, audio streams button and a subtitles button, and then there's now a uh, a quad box button that's a little four square kind of thing. And if you hit that, what happens is the the video stream you're watching pulls back and up from the bottom of the screen comes a, li- a list of, and this is all in the TV app only right now. Um, it's a list of other available live content um, that's playable in the TV app. So if you click on another, so uh, if you're watching MLS, another MLS game or a baseball game on Friday night or both, if both are going on, um, and what will happen is that item, those little items are down at the bottom of the screen with little pluses. And then you click one and it adds it to the playing area at the top of the screen. And it plus turns into, I think, a check. And you're, the one you're already watching is also down there and it's already checked, right? So the idea is down below there is sort of like what is in the quad box or, you know, again, two, two by two, uh, you know, it could be two or it could be three, it could be four. Um, you swipe up and it, and the stuff on the bottom goes away. To bring it back, you swipe back down to bring up the multi-view kind of control. Um, you can choose. There's some different layouts. There's kind of like a big and small. Um, there's a uh, four, you know, in in the square, the classic quad box, as I would call it. But there's also one where there's one on the left and then three in a stack on the right that are small. Depends on your preference, really, to to how you want to watch this. And then in terms of how you use it, you can, very much like Fubo, um, if you swipe around, it'll change where the audio input is coming from. So you can listen to audio from any of them. Um, unlike Fubo, um, so Fubo, when you're in that uh, multi-up view, uh, 
where there's like a big one, and a little one, I believe you can click on one and it makes it the big one. Click on a small one, it makes it the big one. Apple doesn't work like that. And it actually, I think, is maybe a smarter move. So with Apple, you do exactly what you might expect, which is that if there's a little one that you want to make the big one, you tap and hold essentially like so that it wiggles. I don't think it actually wiggles, but it's that same gesture. And then you swipe it over and it just becomes the big one instead of the small one. And you can rearrange the windows that way. And if any of them are ones that you want to see at full screen, you t- you click and it zooms in full screen. So you can very quickly, once you learn the gestures, have like your four up of four different soccer games and swipe around the audio and then tap and zoom into one where it's very exciting and then hit back and it, and it goes back. Um, the one thing I also noticed that's different, and I don't know what Fubo is doing in the background, but Apple d- is not maintaining the streams when you're not zoomed, when you're not viewing them. So when you zoom into one, Apple seems to drop the other streams. It's only streaming the game you're watching, which makes sense, right? But what it means is that when you when you zoom back out, the other three streams are stills, and then they pick up and they start to play. It's a little less elegant, but. If Fubo, if I'm watching two things at once and I'm zoomed into one of them, is it streaming the other one in the background? And it probably shouldn't be, but I think maybe it is. So um, anyway, it, yeah, you can watch multi, multiple things on it. And I think if you've got Apple TV channels and so you're subscribing to other services that have sports within the TV app, I think you can use MultiView for that too. But what's missing and... Who knows? Maybe we'll see it at WWDC. We should put it on the draft list is it would be really nice if this feature worked across apps so that you could have multiple views of live sporting events at once across different apps because a lot of sporting events are in different apps. Maybe we'll get there, but it's a very nice implementation for the very limited kind of content, uh, live sports content that's in Apple's TV app right now. That's good. This way you described it to me, it sounded like you were kind of doing incantations with the TV remote. Do Do you think bit. this is complicated? Like I know you said you got your like when you once you get to to know it, it's fine. But is it complicated to learn this stuff? I think it's pretty intuitive, honestly, because there are not that many things you can do with the Apple TV remote. The one thing that is not entirely intuitive is the if you want to pick up and move something. I'd I'd say that's the least necessary of all the gestures and if you use an apple tv remote i mean i didn't know it did that i just said well let's try it and that's what it did (laughs) i was like okay like it it, i intuited that that's probably how it worked and it's totally how it works so i'm going to give that a thumbs up too but i think in its most basic form you're you're watching one thing and you say put me in the quad box and you go add 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 and now you've got four and you're swiping around to change the audio and clicking into whichever one is selected and it zooms in and you press the back button it zooms back out pretty I think it's pretty straightforward. It's a, I guess, sort of a power user feature. But if Apple's going to get into sports, I mean, this is a this is a sports viewing feature, and it's a great sports viewing feature. So, I um, I'm glad they built it. I I I feel bad if they built it for NFL Sunday Ticket and then they didn't get that contract. But um, but I think it's great for uh, their sporting ambitions going forward. I also heard I got some feedback that like. In certain other countries like yours, there are not a lot of simultaneous sporting events. Like, for example, they only show, you know, they don't really show multiple Premier League matches up against each other. I had to break it to that person and that in the U.S. they do. We get to see all of them, um, which doesn't happen in the U.K., apparently, which is sad. Um, We have better 
English soccer than you, apparently. Uh, but it's a great feature for sports fans. And if you don't, if you don't get it, you know, and you're not a sports fan, like I, okay, I get it. But trust me, I have on um, on weekends in the fall, especially when like college football is going on, or or even on a Sunday with pro football, I have the quad box going uh, on my TV, and uh, I love it. So I'm glad Apple has built uh, a built a better quad box. Also, they all all the corners are little round rounded corners, which is very Apple, and it's totally unnecessary, and yet they did it. So that's kind of cute too. It's very Apple. MimeStream 1.0 has shipped. MimeStream. And you wrote about it. Not the best, uh, you know, not the best name, but, you know, it's the name. I don't understand. I I suggested this a long time ago. MimeMail would have been so much better, in my opinion. I don't know why Stream is in the title. I like the app a lot and use it on my Mac, Um, Mm -hmm. but I find the naming to be curious, but they went with what they went with. It's been two years, so I've been using this. It's been in beta. They've been building it. MimeStream is a Gmail client for Mac OS. So I used to use MailPlane, which was basically a Mac wrapper of the Gmail web interface, which put it in its own app and gave it the right shortcuts and let me do sorts of drag and drop and other stuff that integration with the with Mac OS made better than just doing it in a web browser window. But that got discontinued due to changes, security changes with Google and Gmail. But into the breach steps MimeStream, which is written by, it's a team, but the lead guy uh, used to work at, uh, at Apple on Notes and Mail. And it feels very it, very familiar, I think, as a Mac interface, but also like Mail a little bit. But it's really good, and it is Gmail native because it's Gmail-focused. So Gmail is not does not behave like IMAP, which is the protocol that people use to check their email mostly these days. Um it's different. It's a little bit weird. And MimeStream is built to use the metaphor that Google is using for Gmail rather than sort of mapping it to IMAP. And it's got a bunch of stuff like you can you can create filters right in the app. The search is really fast because it's using the Google Gmail search. It's not doing what Mail does, which is, you know, at least a lot of cases, downloading all the files locally and then indexing them and it can be really slow or it can be unreliable. Even when it uses the server, I found that it can be pretty unreliable and slow. Uh, a lot of great things to say about it. It's it's a really good app. Uh, it's a subscription app. So there's a discount for year one, uh, at least right now. But you, you know you do have to pay annually for it. That is the way of the world today. But for me, it was an instant buy because this is my email client of choice on the Mac. Um, their number one priority, according to Neil, Neil Mimestream, uh, is is uh, iOS. So, you know, they, they're not making any commitments to when, but their next priority is to ship it. People are asking, like, can you support other mail formats and can you bring it to iOS? And um, what what he told me is that iOS is their number one priority so that you can use the same app on your Mac and on your iOS devices. And then they will, they obviously are also interested in supporting IMAP. It's a bigger challenge because of what I said, because IMAP is not Gmail. And so they're going to have to do the reverse of what all those clients that use IMAP on Gmail and have to figure out how to how to you know deal with the fact that it's not really IMAP, it's kind of Gmail. MimeStream's going to have to do the reverse. But they built a really nice, reliable, fast client that I vastly prefer to Apple mm-hmm. Mail, mm-hmm. and you do too, I think. And if you're, so, if you're a Gmail uh, user, this is and 
and you have a Macintosh, this is the app you should be using. Like, I had a great question really from a, a reader who said, why would I use this instead of um, instead of uh, the Gmail and a web browser? And I said, because it's an app. I mean, it's, that's the answer is because this is a full-on written in Swift Mac app yep. that gives you Gmail. It's, it is essentially, what if Google cared so much about the mm-hmm. Mac mm-hmm. that it wrote its own fully native custom Gmail client for the Mac as an app? Yeah. Which, of course... That's not how Google works. They only have apps on mobile devices because it was more expedient than than telling people to go to their website. They certainly, you know, don't care about that on the Mac, but Mimestream does, and uh, it's good. And so now you can you can buy it and use it, and uh, and I I do recommend it. You, you know, you know who you are if you're somebody who wants a really good yeah. Gmail client uh, for the Mac, and eventually for iOS. If you ask the question of like, why wouldn't they use the website? Then like this app probably isn't for you and that's totally fine, right? Like I feel like you know already, especially if it's a subscription app, you know, you, you're going to be like, well, th- really this should be something you know you already want because you're frustrated with your email experience because either Apple Mail doesn't have all the features you want or you don't want to just have all of your email done in a, a web browser tab, right? And I think yep. that's a very good market of people. I would be... As much as I want them to do it, I'd be really surprised if they ever break out of Gmail with this app because they have built this app around the way Gmail works, right? Yeah. So for the experience to be consistent, they would have to reverse that for IMAP, right? So like the idea of the categorization that it does automatically, like they're going to have to work out how to do that. It's possible. Spark does this. Filters and All of that stuff, you have to build it yourself. And that is big and complicated. I hope they do do it because that would, to me, suggest that the app has been successful enough that they're willing to put the time in. But we'll see. Right. Although I, w- I would actually say that maybe the indication that, that they have to start working on IMAP is an indication that they need more users, right? That's the other way to look at it is if Possibly. they're incredibly successful with Gmail, I, I would feel like it lessens the pressure a little bit. But you're right. It'll always be there. There are always people who are like, I have three Gmail accounts and an IMAP account. Please help me. Yeah. And they don't, they can't serve them until they do that. I will also say one of the other really nice things about Mimestream versus like the web interface is uh, how it handles multiple Gmail accounts. Um, because it's easy to do. You can merge them together into one inbox. You can keep them separate. And they have this new concept of roles, basically. So you can have like, if you've got like three Gmail accounts for business and one for personal, you don't have to switch necessarily among four. You can create a business set and a personal set. And you can switch between those two. And the business set will accumulate all your business emails. And they can still be tagged and colored of like which one they're from. But it's separate from your personal. You can do that if you want. It supports focus filters. So you can I even do it ask. where it when you're in focus mode, it, it you you will pop, you know, and you're, you're like you're in personal mode. Mindstream will only show your personal mail. I mean, you set it up however you want. But all of that stuff is in there. And these are all reasons why. I mean, th- you're going to count on the fact that Mindstream is going to support a lot of core Mac OS features because the whole purpose of the app is to provide a Mac OS app experience on Gmail. So they got to, I mean, that's, that's the secret sauce there. That's the magic is what can we do that a web page can't do? That's their entire mission with Mindstream, but I think it's very good. Yep. I respect their focus because like there are two very core questions that they have decided not to address for version 1.0, right? Like we mentioned is anything other than Gmail, but especially iOS. We're like, nope, it's mm-hmm. what we're doing. I applaud that focus and like I really hope it works out for them because this is a great application. Yep, I agree.
Uh, and Apple has started to share some details about the WWDC schedule for developers. And there were a couple of intriguing um, placeholders. So, well, the things that they have let you know that developers know about is they can attend a set of tours inside Apple Park. They have some exhibits and stuff like that, which is really cool. Developers can register for them. But there is a special evening activity on Monday, which feels probably like a bash, right? Like, I don't know, unless it's like uh, Apple Design Awards. That's already on there too. The Design Awards oh, is already on the okay. schedule. So well, then. that Monday is like keynote, State of the Union, Design Awards, and then a special evening activity. Uh, and then on Tuesday, there are three two-and-a-half-hour sessions at the Developer Center, a morning, afternoon, mm. evening. And you have to register for one of these. This is probably going to be for trying out the headset, I reckon. They're at the Developer Center. It's not a bad guess, right? Right. Not I feel... necessarily that, but the idea that you have groups, especially keeping in mind that the developers are not a very large contingent, right? No. It's not 5,000 developers. It's a small number of developers. So what if they let you sign up for slots on Tuesday where you are in a relatively small group and they bring them in and there's a, you know, there's a demonstration and then people are there to try on the headsets one at a time or in groups, right? Where it's like four at a time and the rest of them do something else and you kind of move them through. If I were at Apple, that's what I would do, right? Yeah. You, you got to have time for your guest developers to see the headset. Uh, and how do you do that? Because it's a one-to-one -one experience and you've got to come up with a, a program that lets you kind of like filter them through. And it's almost like a Disneyland ride where you need like the waiting time and then the experience time. So everybody gets 15 minutes experience time. And for the rest of it, what are they doing? Is they're doing something else and you got to kind of funnel them through. It'd be interesting to see how they do it. And for the press, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah. how are they going to do that with the press? It's a, it's a tough one. I reckon the developer thing will probably follow something akin to the Mac Pro demonstration thing from what's that, 2019? When they had yeah. like a bunch of Mac, like a bunch of people using the Mac Pro showing you how it, like what it could do, right? Like they had that whole kind of like experience thing, but obviously with uh, I I'm assuming probably a hands-on part, or maybe not. Like maybe it'll just be like here are four Apple employees, they're all doing something, and you can watch them do it, and you can see it on a screen or whatever. We'll find out. But I think that's mm. probably what that's going to be on Tuesday, is the entire day to allow a set of multiple hundreds of people try out or see something more up close with the with the headset because like it, it we spoke about this before right like could this be something akin to your original apple watch experience where like they would show you it but you couldn't do it because it was on right. a loop and that exactly. might be the you, case you can look too. around and stuff yeah maybe reach out and touch something and all that but then it just keeps going right a completely yep. guided experience certainly if there's anything it's going to be something like that do you think that that monday night event is a concert yeah I, the reason that I'm inclined to believe that it is, is not just for the developers, right? Think of this from an Apple perspective. Um, if, if they're launching WWDC, making all their announcements there, including the headset, you could argue that that's like a really good opportunity to throw a party. Yeah. And so you throw a party for developers and media and VIPs and Apple employees. Yep. And they all come to the inside of the ring. Yep. Maybe. 
Yep. That's where it's going to be. The rainbow stage? Yep. Special evening activity. Uh, so from Mac Rumors, Apple says that the special activity is one attendees, quote, won't want to miss with food and beverages provided. It's a party. Oh, I mean, it's a party. come on. Yeah. It's, it's a, party. a party. Yeah. Maybe there's a band. Definitely there's a party. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. Awesome. Probably not Spinal Tap. Who knows? I always was picking Spinal Tap. Could be. I like, Maybe I like Federico's. I like Federico uh, wondering about Boy Genius yeah. because they're in California. That would be uh, that would be really awesome. I'd 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 be there if I could, and maybe I will. I'm not <laughs> saying like I can't. I'm saying I, I will <laughs> be. I will one. be there if I'm invited. How about that? Yeah, I will I be there it. if I'm invited. Yep. Can't wait. So this episode is our final regular episode before WWDC. So next week will be the draft. Mm. which we are in preparation on, trying to narrow yes. down our picks, and so we'll be making our draft picks. I will be putting my championship on the line yes. uh, for the year. Your 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 right-side-up pennant and my my downward-facing sad pennant, yes, on the line. That'll be on the line. So what, obviously, something of note is, as we're recording this, which is the 22nd of May, Final Cut and Logic are due out for the iPad tomorrow, which is May 23rd. Uh, we will not be talking about these until at least after WWDC at this point. So just as a note, like we just won't. We're not going to talk about it on the draft. Time, I doubt we're going to have wise. time to talk about it on the WWDC episode. So yeah. it's going to be yeah. later on, but I'm sure Maybe we we'll talk about that in my backyard. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe. Summer of fun. Summer Talk of about fun. the old apps. It's coming. <laughs> but yeah, so we're also planning on on revise, um, reprising the outside podcast that we did last year. You can listen uh, to my birds. So my that's many birds. something we want to do again because we had such a good time with that last time. It was the best part of WWDC for me last year. Right, well, low bar. Uh, I hope that that won't be the case this year, but who could tell? Uh, so we've got that com- going on. And so, uh, yeah, we won't be talking about anything kind of Final Cut related until then. But hopefully we'll pick it up as part of the Summer of Fun. This episode is brought to you by our friends at ZocDoc. It sucks when you have to go to a doctor's appointment and you want to be like the center of attention. You're going there. You want to get yourself taken care of like you've got something bothering you. But your doctor has maybe rushed you along and maybe you've waited for hours in the waiting room and then maybe instead of then you feeling like you're being listened to intently because they're in a rush you want to know you want the doctor to feel like they're taking care of you and helping you but they're checking the clock because they're already backed up this isn't an experience you want and on ZocDoc you'll find quality doctors who focus on you listen to you and prioritize your care ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. The waiting room experience when it comes to doctors is like my least favorite thing. I hate going to the doctor's office, sitting in the waiting room for 20 minutes, and we're already like, like, I hate all of that stuff. I love being able to do these things over a video call, over a phone call, because then you can just take a very short break out of your day and ZocDoc allows you to do this really takes the frustration away and honestly for me makes it more likely that I'm going to speak to a doctor about something that's bothering me rather than putting it off because I don't have the time 
When you're not feeling your best and you're just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all of your energy. And that is where ZocDoc comes in. You can use their free app that millions of users rely on and you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. Book an appointment with just a few taps in their app and start feeling better, faster with ZocDoc. So, Go to ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM, ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM. Our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Saddle up, partner. It's time for a rumor roundup. Mike. I feel like the sun is low in the sky and uh-huh. we might be done with some rumor roundups for a little while. Yes. But let's let's ride one last time. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal is reporting. Just, it's, come on. I like it. The Apple executives have banned the use of ChatGPT and other AI utilities from being used for work at the company. This includes GitHub Copilot for helping developers uh, with their code issues. There is a concern at Apple that these tools could be a threat to Apple's secrecy guidelines if people are querying them to aid in their work. Yeah. Hey, uh, ChatGPT, here's my top secret Apple code. Can you help me with it? Like you're sending top secret Apple code mm-hmm. to ChatGPT. Don't do it. Or like, I was thinking, like, hey, I've got a marketing press release. Can you just check it over for grammar? Right? Like these are things that people are doing more and yeah. more. Right? It actually shows you that there is there is going to be a serious market in the future for AI assistant technologies that run on that you can run on a local private instance. Yeah. Right. Like yep. where where you know keep your secret stuff secret by paying us to to install your thing or whether you know you can do it yourself but like i think there will be companies that will will come to your place with this well funnily enough open ai is one of them like open ai is working on this for morgan stanley like a yeah a like locked down version of ChatGPT, but yes i think this is what microsoft is probably focusing on too a little bit more right like a lot of their mm-hmm. stuff around office is like we are using your information. Because the problem with, with something like ChatGPT is, like you could take, I don't know if like GitHub works like this, but the idea is you can, there are certain things that you can do. Certainly Apple does this, where it's end-to-end encrypted. Where like you see it because you've got a key, you're logged in. But like it's stored encrypted and that the service can't see it. The problem with, chat gbt is it's got to see it right it's got to see it it has to decrypt it it can't not have it and if it's running on somebody else's servers it could be a, a leak they people could see what you're you're typing yep. what you're pasting in to those documents so for that reason very privacy uh and secrecy oriented companies governments you know, government agencies um are going to need if they if if it's truly the case that this ai stuff is going to have value productivity value um it's either got to run on device which you know a lot of the stuff will be able to run on device our our devices are powerful enough or at the very least it needs to be put in a system where it can be self-hosted so that you have some trust that it's not leaving your company yeah it's very important on that same kind of topic area TechCrunch have recognized that apple has been on the hunt for more ai talent there are dozens of job postings available currently on their careers page looking for generative ai experts these began posting uh, at the end of april and they're being consistently added to their over 28 
uh, AI job roles in that time period. Uh, we found the place where Apple's not slowing down and hiring. Yep. I was thinking that exact thing, right? They're, they're not freezing in this area because no. they need the talent. They, mm-hmm. they do. They do. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's a sign that they feel uh, like behind or stressed out or they've lost people. Whatever it is, there's something going on there where Apple definitely needs more. I think Apple, look, Apple clearly is is spending a lot of effort on machine learning and AI, um, maybe not in the way that others are, but it's also possible that that the AI stuff has gone in directions that Apple either hasn't anticipated or that Apple doesn't have the capability to do right now and they need to staff up even further. It's not like they're doing nothing. I mean, I was, I was laughing at a conversation about Apple like being perceived as being, uh, you know, doing nothing and being behind when they've literally built uh, machine learning AI uh, special cores into their processors for the last few years, right? Like they, they, they know, but uh, they've also got some blind spots and and have missed some things. And uh, not not surprising. Are we surprised that Apple wants to hire more no. AI? Because well, you're right. Like they've been doing a lot of stuff for machine learning, but they've been using machine learning like a scalpel, right? Like very exactly. specific things. I think Tim Cook even said it was it was woven. So I yeah. guess like a like a loom or something. They're yeah. like weaving it in, and uh, and that's nice. But it's also yeah, it's very conservative. What they don't have is this like mass consumer facing product. Yeah. So that yeah. that's kind of what they need to work on. Yeah. And then we take a short left turn uh, to go to Mark Gurman's Power on newsletter, where he notes that Apple will soon be selling the Nike made Ted Lasso merch through the Apple online store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that there will be QR codes. It must be they're tired of hearing this in the retail stores. So there'll be QR codes or something in the yeah. retail store that'll say, if you would like your Ted Lasso merch, scan this code and go to the online store. That's where you buy your Ted Lasso yeah. merch. But, but this will be the first time clothing has been sold in the Apple store. So that's right. Fun. Because you, you have to go to the Apple stores on Apple campuses in order to get the Apple. Like I've got <sighs> yes. a, a six colors Apple rainbow mm-hmm. t-shirt and all that, but they don't sell those in the regular retail stores, only in the special locations. So this is going to be a change for them. I think it's great. I think they should do it. I, I honestly think they should put it in the retail stores too, but they probably have done the, 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 the profit calculations and realized even though an overpriced branded shirt is not as profitable as literally anything else in the Apple store. Fair enough. Putting it in the online store makes sense. There's no problem with uh, the, you know storage and they've got the room for it to show it off. Um, I expect them to do more. This is one of those areas. Um, Julian Alexander and I talked about this on Downstream the other time, the other week, like three or four weeks ago. Um, the uh, Disney, I don't know if you you noticed it. I don't know if we mentioned it here. Disney added a store tab in the Mandalorian mm-hmm. where you could buy merch. They like put it in the Disney Plus app. Uh, and and of course, think about it. Of course, Disney did. This is the company that has you exit through the gift shop. Everything about Disney is about the big picture experience. It's not like, well, they come in, they watch The Mandalorian, and they leave. It's like, no, no, no. They come in, they watch The Mandalorian, and then they buy a Baby Yoda. That's how it works. And then they go to Disneyland, and they see a Mandalorian walking around. This is Disney. Well, Apple is not quite Disney, but Apple will leave no stone unturned when it comes to uh, revenue, or at least uh, that seems to be their approach. So why would you not merchandise your entertainment product now that you have it so i would be surprised if it stops with ted lasso right like severance this is just the easy one yeah this is the easiest one it's a good yep. one to test it's it's also two years th- too late but 
it, it's good that it's here. It's literally going to be appearing as the show ends. But good. Let's 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 well, get this started. As we or, assume, question the mark? show will end. Right. If I shared, I think I have a view, but I don't know if I shared it on the show. My theory is that season four will become a show called Roy Kent. Like I think that's uh, the, interesting. I think it's going to be a Roy Kent spinoff, and Roy takes over the team. And Ted goes back and maybe p- does some cameos every now and then. But I think that's how they continue it. I've heard the theory that there are going to be multiple shows. Yeah. And that Ted goes back to America could actually be another show or a continuation yep. of Ted Lasso yep. while the show. Because I, I think one of the undercurrents of Ted Lasso's production is that Jason Sudeikis got a divorce, has kids that he doesn't see very often because they're in America and he's in London for long periods of time shooting Ted Lasso. um, And he doesn't want to keep doing that. And he's in charge. So it's possible that he's, you know, essentially going to exit. It's also possible that uh, he's going to come back to the States, but still get some of that sweet, sweet Ted Lasso money while also allowing his cast and crew who are UK based to stay and kind of continue the franchise there. So we'll we'll have to see, but I think we're presume we're, we're proceeding under the assumption that Ted Lasso season 3 is the end of the story and then we'll I I feel very strongly that since they've not said anything about it since then and I know there's a writer strike now, but like it feels to me like the end of season 3 of Ted Lasso is necessary for the announcements and so I, I don't know. I feel like they're sitting on something, but maybe not. I feel like they're sitting on something there. I will say, Sava in the in the Discord said, Ted Lasso coaches an MLS team, which is that Disney-like vertical integration, right? Right. Because like, Apple control Major League Soccer now. So. Right. <laughs> and I actually, mean, you know what? Forget it. Have Jason Sudeikis become the actual coach of an MLS team. Of Let's an go MLS 4D like chess it. on this one. <laughs> I like it. I don't know. I, I think it will be interesting to see what Brett Goldstein does, right? Because that Roy Kent is a phenomenon, and he's also got another Apple TV show, right? With, yep. with Bill Lawrence, they're doing yep. Shrinking. Yep. And I wonder, especially if Jason Sudeikis either stepped away or went off to do something with Ted Lasso in America, if that would mean that Brett Goldstein and 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 uh, and Bill Lawrence would sort of like pick up the reins of a Roy Kent. You know, and look, we say Ted Lasso and Roy Kent, but like these are ensembles. There are like what fifteen characters in Ted Lasso. I mean, yeah. it's enormous. That's part of the problem of them trying to land this plane is that the, the episodes are getting like to be an hour long each because yeah. they've got five different storylines and they need to service all of these characters. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it's it's also it, it cracked the Nielsen streaming top ten. It's it's uh, which is a big deal. Like there are, that's almost entirely Netflix stuff. The only Disney stuff on there is star Wars and Marvel. And so for Ted Lasso to be there, Hmm. um, Star Trek Picard was like the first Paramount thing to ever crack it. It cracked it the last couple of months. Um, so, and Ted Lasso is there. So like it is by all measurements, awards and viewing figures, Apple's biggest thing. So I'm sure as we've said before, Apple will back up the truck of money or perhaps already has backed up multiple trucks of money mm-hmm. to various houses in order to continue with something that's Ted Lasso related. But to pay for that, they're also going to sell Ted Lasso shirts in the Apple yeah. store. So uh, we're going to park the roundup. We're going to park the horses for a bit. We're going to come okay. We're going to come back you don't, to... Okay, you don't park rumors. horses. That, you, you that's sure not what you do. do. Well, we're going to tie them up. At, we're going to hitch them. We're going to tie them up it. at the hitching post. Mm-hmm. 
I wouldn't be surprised okay. if the word parking has some kind of like etymology in horses, but we can leave that for another time. Okay. Well, well, you're just opening us up to a world of horse-related follow-up, and as somebody who was who was uh, injured in a buggy accident as a child, you don't want it. I, 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 who better than me to field those questions about horses? I grew up with horses. I don't know if that's a good idea. Uh, we're going to talk about accessibility features. So in honor of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, Apple has once again, as they have for multiple years now, previewed some accessibility-focused features that will be coming in iOS 17. So they break these out, give them their own time in the sun, which is a really great idea. Uh, there are a whole selection of features, but Apple focuses on three main ones. The biggest one is something called assistive access, which in a nutshell, simplifies and can give you the options to simplify the entire UI of iOS to aid those with cognitive disabilities. It is a fully customizable experience. You can have your entire UI just be these huge buttons or big text labels or tables that you can access from, like, you know, you got all your apps in just a table. There's no home screen, huge high contrast iconography, and there's a whole set of tools available for a more tailored experience. Like, so you can put things in grids and rows and stuff. So this is like, this feels pretty massive as like a thing to do. It's like, oh, how about we give you the opportunity to rewrite the entire operating system? So this seems super cool. Yeah. There's live speech, which will allow a user to type what they want to say to somebody and have it spoken out loud from the phone, either in person, so it would do it from the phone speaker, or if you're on a FaceTime call, you can type out what you want to say, and the person will hear it. You can also create a uh, machine learning version of your own voice using a system called personal voice. So you record yourself saying, or you speak to the phone saying a bunch of things. And then I think it's like, over many hours, the phone will go away and create basically an AI version of your own voice, which you can then use for the live speech function. This is mo mainly focused on those who are at risk of losing their voice. So this would give them the ability to still be their own person when using these features. Um, and also point and speak in the Magnifier app. So... You can hold up your camera and using the camera and LiDAR, you can point your camera at some buttons. The system will read and process the buttons and labels so you can point with them with your finger and it will be like, that's the start button, that's the stop button. Wild yeah. stuff again. Like They're just continuing to do some huge things of accessibility here, which is just so cool to see. Shelly Brisbane wrote about this at Six Colors, and, mm -hmm. and that was the one that blew me away. Is she said, you know, you, you're standing in front of a vending machine and you point at the buttons, and it says like which one is Coke and which one is Pepsi and which one is, and like, you don't think about it, but if you if you have vision issues, um, this feature makes every bit of like every interface in the world becomes accessible. It's like voiceover, but for the world, right? Exactly. Yeah. And and the idea that uh, you know if you can't read the buttons and you're standing in front of a vending machine, what the hell do you do, right? And the answer is, it's not a problem. Also, I had that thought, which is, um, this is also the future of uh, Apple augmented reality, mm -hmm. 
is stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And and I, I heard from some people who were like, oh, well, this is interesting because you could put it in the Apple headset and it's got cameras and it could do that. It's like, you could. And and like in the long run, I think these features do go together with augmented reality and the fact that you could wear this around. But there's probably, and I'm just, I'm just spitballing here, uh, something for down the road for an Apple product. But like, as long as you can get a camera, uh, which is which is a challenge because right now, like AirPods don't have cameras, but as long as you can have a camera, you should be able to do this now, right? Like if if an if your AirPods had cameras, or if you could put on some glasses glasses or just put a little teeny tiny camera on your glasses, this feature. I know AirPods don't have the processing power right now to do something like this, but I'm just saying if you if you extrapolate this, you don't need a full on AR headset to make the entire world accessible. No, you could put your phone in a lanyard. You could. I right? mean, this is what that humane humane has that demo that 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 startup where yeah. it's got like it's uh, we're not going to it's some weird stuff going on there, but one idea is that you put your like phone in, or or this humane thing in a pocket uh, shirt pocket and the camera's facing out and it does it. But like there are ways you could do it. But the idea is as long as you've got that processing power and it's in your ears, like that alone is an incredible amount of augmentation of reality for people who need it via accessibility, but arguably for everybody. But certainly imagine the boon that would be to somebody with low vision if they could walk around basically as normal, not even holding up a phone eventually and being able to, through gestures, decode the entire world around them mm-hmm. so that they could get the, those inaccessible things to be accessible. It's awesome. This is this technology is amazing. Yeah. Uh, so much of it. As you mentioned, Shelley, um, who wrote about this on Six Colors. Shelley also has a podcast here on Relay FM called Parallel, where she dives into this uh, in more detail. So if you want more detail from somebody who actually needs and uses these tools, you can go and check that out on um, Relay.fm. Mm-hmm. Parallel, episode 82. But I I love that they do this stuff, obviously. I like that they give it this focus now because it, if this was part of WWC, the demo would still be really fascinating, but it would be part of the news for that day, right? Like that day, everyone would have that as one of the many articles written. But by doing it this way a couple of days before, it gets everyone to actually spend time thinking about it, focusing on yes. it, you know, like how would this be useful? Why would you need this? You know, so like, mm-hmm. and also like for us, I see things like that and I'm like, oh, who in my life could benefit from this in a way that I might not otherwise think about it because I'm focusing on 2000 different things on mm-hmm. uh, WWC keynote day. So super cool. Yeah, it's a good thing that they do it now. Um, we We talked about it all this time would we have talked about it all this time if it was amid 800 other announcements? Well, of course not. No. Even if we care about the subject because mm-hmm. there are so many other announcements. So I like how they do it. It does require them to get a little shifty about, you know, first off, they have to, they can't, <laughs> they can't pull out anything that gives anything away, right? So they, they, it, it's big because these are new iOS features that they're announcing in advance of WWDC. They don't say where they're coming. They, you know, they don't put it in that frame, but that's what they are. And I know I was listening to your uh, podcast with, uh, with well, you weren't on it last week, I but Connected, Connected talked about this. Yep. It was it was uh, my uh, my subversive element, John Voorhees, my fellow Jay, 
who was there with Federico and Stephen. And they were talking about this and they both suggested there's that part where it's sort of like, oh, and it'll put this information about your where you are in the notes app. And they all they all immediately said, that's the journaling app. Right. That's not actually the notes app. That's the journaling app they haven't they haven't mentioned yet. And that's why. And there's yeah. a, like a shortcut that they're like, it's there's this shortcut that does this. So it says shortcuts ads. Remember this, which helps users with cognitive disabilities create a visual diary and notes for yeah. easy reference and reflection. Yep. It's like you could do that now. Why is that? And and then you start to unravel and you're like, yeah, they're probably hiding something there. Right. Yeah. It's probably more complex. It probably involves that that journaling app that we talked about, but they aren't announcing that right now, okay? They're just doing accessibility. So this is, I, I appreciate that they do it because this is a not a zero effort kind of thing for them to give this stuff the spotlight while they're also having to do the work to hide the secrets for mm-hmm. next month. This episode is brought to you by Ladder. Look, let's be real. If you're like me, you have a tendency to put some things off until the last minute. Whether that's going to the DMV, arranging a dental checkup. In fact, I have an email from my dentist because I haven't arranged it yet. Or getting to that home improvement project that you have on your list. You know the things I'm talking about. The stuff that you just kick down the road a little bit. While most of the time that works out, there is something that you can't afford to wait on. And that is setting up term coverage life insurance. You've probably seen commercials. You maybe have heard me talk about it before on the show and thought, I'll look into that later. But this isn't something you want to wait on. Choose life insurance through Ladder today. Ladder is 100% digital. There's no doctors, no needles, no paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, you just answer some questions about your health in an application. Just a few of them. Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, and they made Forbes' best life insurance list in 2021. You just need a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder has super smart algorithms that work in real time so you find out if you're instantly approved. There are no hidden fees. You can cancel anytime and you'll get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of paying claims and they are rated A and A plus by AM Best. And since life insurance costs more as you age, Now's the time to cross it off your list. Go to ladderlife.com slash upgrade today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash upgrade. One last time, ladderlife.com slash upgrade. A thanks to Ladder for their support of this show and Relay FM. So mentioned this is the last episode that we'll do before, like proper episode that we'll do before WWDC. So it's not going to be a rumor mm-hmm. roundup next week. And there have been lots of pieces of information about the headset. So I thought we would, because this is the big thing, right? We're going to try and tie as much of a bow around it as possible with some of this stuff as we get ready uh, to head into prime WWDC season. And we will mm-hmm. start with... An interesting set of reports from Mark Gurman detailing the thoughts and feelings of executives at Apple on the headset project. Just in general, a fascinating set of things. I actually preferred the version, as I tend to, in the Power On newsletter, which just gave more of a breakdown of basically every executive involved in the project and where their expected stance is, which was intriguing. Again, this seems like a lot of information to have gotten, and I, I really wonder where Mark got this information, but it's mm-hmm. super fascinating to me. So there is some skepticism 
about the headset project. Interestingly, Tim Cook is dis- who is described as having displaying relative non-involvement in the project, which has apparently frustrated staff members. Yeah, let me decode that, though. Yeah. Um, my guess is that frustrated staff members means there are people who don't like things that happened and wish Tim would have intervened and he didn't. That's my read mm. on that. Like, I, I could be wrong, but like... Do we expect Tim Cook to be really involved on in product development? I, I thought I thought that one of the great things about Tim Cook is that he knows that he's not the product guy and that he's looking at big picture strategy things and looking at the price and looking at the timing and all of those things, but otherwise not being involved. So I I could be wrong. Again, I, I'm just guessing here, but my immediate reaction when I saw that was, I don't know, that feels like sour grapes from people who didn't get their way and were hoping Tim would, uh, would uh, override the people who made the decisions. And he didn't because he doesn't want to do that. Because we've heard about like there were there were differing uh, approaches that they were going to take, right? And and maybe um, this is part of the frustration that people didn't get the approach that they wanted. I'll tell you how I read this one, which is not not too dissimilar from you. It's just we know that Tim isn't a product person, right? Like, but maybe there are people in Apple who were around for the other big product launches, you know, like maybe the iPhone, the iPad, that kind of stuff. Right. And their hope would be that they would have a CEO who is involved in a sure. brand new endeavor. And maybe that not. frustrates them. And he just isn't because <laughs> sure. for as much as we know, he kind of never is. But uh, Craig Federighi has kept his distance from the project, <laughs> seeming wary of the effort. Uh, John Gruber on Daring Fireball pointed out, this would be quite a task considering he's head of all software for him to uh-huh. do. So I don't know what that means. I mean, look, maybe he, and I yeah. believe maybe he is skeptical, but he can't really keep a dis, like he can't be like, oh no, forget it, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do yeah, that. I'm not gonna help you build your fork of iOS mm-hmm. that, that uses a bunch of stuff that we, well, the way this is phrased, too, it, it is probably more like Craig Federighi never seemed excited yep. and did what he needed to do, but never went the extra mile yeah. and was reluctant to part with him, which I also understand, like, if this isn't Craig's project and he's really sort of supplying software to someone else's project and he's concerned about the the stuff he's already doing that's very hard with iOS and iPadOS and, you know, and macOS and all the other operating systems out there and here's another platform and he's not down into the, day, the day-to-day of it either. He's trying to view this at a higher level. Then I could see why he might be like reluctant to dive too far into this and right so again i have this thought which is like i mean maybe he thinks it's a stupid idea but like also is this not sort of his job but i do think there's something there which is sort of like craig didn't go yeah let's let's i'll give you everything i got and you know maybe people uh maybe people resented it on the headset side or maybe people on craig's side were like Oh, I'm so grateful that Craig protected me from the headset people. But I don't know. I mean, it seems like a very simplistic rendering of a pro- what was probably a very complicated balance between what you offer um, as a part of the development of this. And also, like, remember the days of the iPhone, the stories about that period of time. Like, you've got the people who are in down deep with the hardware, and they've got software that they're using, but they are also doing stuff that they... like. At some point, the people working on the project really have to just be down in the project. And I, I view 
you know, unless Craig, who knows, but like I view that as being Craig Federighi saying, I'm going to be doing this stuff over here while you guys are doing that over there. And is that, is that spite or is that just how it worked out? I don't know. I mean, but it, I think you're right though, right? That he's obviously involved, but he could just be like doing what needs to be done, but he's not an internal champion of the project, which is perfectly fair, I think. Uh, Johnny Saruji is concerned that the focus on silicon for these devices could take away some focus from the iPhone and has also likened the whole idea to something akin to a science project. This one feels a bit more harsh. <laughs> yeah, although we also don't know. Here's the other thing. How long has this project been going on? Since 2015, the report says. Right? So, okay. How did Johnny Shruji feel in 2015? How did he feel in 2019? How does he feel today? This doesn't say, right? Like, and and we know, like, uh, in this, Mark tries to make some links where he's like, and, uh, and honestly, the gains in the Apple chips in the last couple of years have been a little bit less. Is that a sign mm-hmm. that this is going on? Maybe. It's like, I don't know. I mean, it's it really hard to tell. Like, maybe, maybe not. We don't know. You wouldn't know un- unless you were in there. I know that if I'm Johnny Shruji and I'm looking at a Skunk Works project to make a headset and they're telling me I need to do work on this, I, I would be kind of grumpy because it's like, look, I've got the crown jewels here with the iPhone and, and we're doing this whole Apple Silicon thing with the Mac now. And you want me to do this thing? Is it even going to ship? Like there are certainly eras where it's like, you want me to spend money on this science project that you've got going on over here when we're shipping iPhones? Like that's actually completely reasonable to me. Without a time frame, we can't really tell what that really means. And so again, we're just left with this little kind of like shreds of of gossip that we've got here. But I understand that. And there is a detail, I think, in that report, which is that there is a, a wireless processor that they made um, because there was a version of this headset orig- or at some point along the way that was going to be a box. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a little bit more like a PSVR. It was going to be a computing box somewhere plugged in. And it was where the power was, like uh, the computing power. And then it would be transmitting the content wirelessly back and forth with the headset. And at some point they said, let's not do that. We're going to put all of it on board. And we know that in the VR world that happened, right? There were a lot of tethered things. And then there was the a next generation where it was like, no, we're going to take the tether away. We're going to use smartphone processors. We're going to put them on the headsets. And that way you don't have cables draping all over you. Well, apparently Apple's chip designers built the silicon for that box. And then it got killed. Yep. And would I be grumpy about that if I were Johnny Sruji? Absolutely. Like... You know, we you we took our time to build this thing because you said it was important, and now you're not going to do it, and we wasted our time. So again, I get it. That was a Johnny Ive decision. Apparently, in 2019, the information reported on this that they wanted to do a processing base station, uh, but Johnny went said that they shouldn't do this, that it wasn't the right way mm-hmm. to go. Which I mean, we haven't used the headset, but I think for what Apple was trying to do it isn't the right way to go. Like it's not going to push yeah, them I towards agree. VR glasses if they're leaning on processing power being off-boarded. Right, because at some point you've got to move that processing power on board yep. and, uh, unless unless everybody's going to have an iPhone or something uh that always has to be with them and is going to be hot and you know plugged into losing it. its battery and like the this this would need to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. 
The headset has been a product that Jeff Williams has been a driving force on, uh, with the actual product team being led by Mike Rockwell. Uh, Cook has leaned on Williams to make the product a success, which this is akin to the kind of stuff that we've been hearing for a while, right? Like, obviously, Jeff has been running the Apple Watch and now kind of oversees the hardware design team as well. Mm. Uh, Dan Riccio is in the mix. He is Mike Rockwell's boss and has worked exclusively on the headset for the last two years. Uh, Riccio was previously the hardware engineering chief. And it is believed inside of Apple that Riccio is probably going to retire after this product comes to market. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, this is the this is the group. Uh, it makes sense, right? Jeff Williams is sort of like, please take this across the finish line for me. Mm-hmm. Rockwell is the is the kind of product lead, and now Dan Riccio is in there, uh, also working on this thing to get it across the finish line. Because yeah. there are obviously different phases in these devices, right? And and it's such a huge job to bring any new platform out across the finish line to use that keep using that metaphor like you have to change and uh what you do is different because now it's sort of like now we need to produce it in 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 and mass produce it right like what is involved with that and what are the costs of that and how are we going to set that up and all of that is incredibly complicated so i'm not surprised that jeff williams has gotten the 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 tap here to come in and and uh bring it across to completion like uh happened with the apple watch there's a fun detail in Mark's uh, reporting that Dan Riccio, uh, his last two products never saw the light of day. There was like a Apple oh. TV, TV, and the car. And so yeah. like it's for Dan Riccio, I wouldn't be surprised if he retires. It's like, finally, but I've been working on products for 10 years and none of them have come out. Um, but yeah, I feel like these days we see John Turnus, right? Like in places where mm-hmm. Dan Riccio would have been. Like Riccio was in so many of the White Room videos for a really, really long time. Yeah. Uh, Greg Joswiak is apparently one of the headset's biggest proponents on the executive team, which is helpful because well, he's got to sell the thing. Head of marketing. <laughs> and apparently Frank Casanova is is leading marketing, uh, presumably working for Jaws, and I had a that took me back because Frank Casanova in a in a previous life was like the QuickTime guy at Apple in like the late nineties. Hmm. Uh still there or back, I think back there. I think he left and came back. But he's apparently uh for those who remember the nineties, uh Mr. QuickTime is now <laughs> Mr. Headset. Uh and yeah, Joswiak is is into it. That's good. It's good because Jaws is gonna be out there being like, it's amazing. <laughs> so uh Mark Herman says he's a believer. You'd hope so. Uh mm-hmm. and Phil Schiller will be in charge of the launch event at WWDC and apparently really pushed for gaming to be a focus. Uh Schiller is noted to have a expensive VR headset racing rig at home. So uh, maybe he wants to replace all of that with his uh, Apple headset. And, and this fits with what we've, I think, heard before, which is how, what happened after Phil ascended to the rooftop seems to be that Phil is in charge of events. And that, still that sort of Phil's, involved in the Phil's app Apple. But yeah. Yeah, right, right. But like Phil, Phil sort of like not quite retired, but it reduced. And it's sort of like very some specific things that they have have coaxed him to to remain doing to keep him uh, attached at Apple. I I think that this is one of those cases where Phil doesn't have to be there, but he he likes it 
and they like having him around. And so they've, they've found this new spot for him. But yeah, my understanding is that events are Phil's thing. Yeah. And, it, and it's like events are his thing. And then it also makes sense from a place of like, if you need Phil, <laughs> like if you need him, he's still there. He's right? there. Yeah. He's up on the roof. Someone with his, there isn't anyone, right? With his level of experience at Apple, like from the level that he's at for the time period that he, has done it, right? Right. Yeah. So he's he's like the the longest serving executive. Yeah, he's the institutional memory yeah. of Apple yeah. at this point. Yeah. Uh, the whole project, as we mentioned earlier, began in 2015. The original plan was for this to be on mark on the market in 2020, which obviously didn't happen. Mark Gurman reports that the original intended vision of the project was, of course, a pair of eyeglasses that could be worn all day. All day. We are obviously still very far away from that, and Apple is currently expecting that we are four years from now away from all, like, just put the glasses on and go out into the world. It's like a pretty long time, but to me, we spoke about on the show a million times, feels like the earliest time I could imagine. Like, there is uh, yeah, so much between this and that. I can't see it being four years even that's i agree it seems like a stretch i think 10 probably but like i don't know what they think they can do in four years i mean but. i'll give you i'll give you end of the decade like 2030 maybe mm-hmm. but four years seems uh a bit much for something like this maybe nine to five mac is reporting on the cost of the headset i want to read a quote here uh, a report from wilson xr details the bill of materials for apple's upcoming mixed reality headset if the report is correct, the components could cost around $1,400 per unit. When shipping costs are added, it comes to about 1600 The headset is expected to be equipped with an M2 chip, 12 gigabytes of RAM, 512 gigabytes of storage, Wi-Fi 6, and Bluetooth 5.3. The most expensive components are the OLED displays, which are expected to be $280 to $320 each. And there will be at least two, maybe three, <laughs> who can tell, uh, on this device. So. Yeah, it's it's going to be expensive, right? And keep in mind, this is this is sixteen hundred dollars per unit in parts. Yep, in parts. And as we know from all the times the bill of materials people do these stories that get hyped, that are like, "Oh, that thousand dollar iPhone, it only cost one hundred and twenty eight dollars in parts. What a ripoff!" And you're like, "Well, no." <laughs> Like they have to assemble it and they had to make a bunch of those parts and there's the software and there's like, there's so much there's that goes into this. research and development, which are obviously going to yeah. take a bath on if they've been working on this since 2015. Exactly. Right? Like that's yeah. not going to be paid back by these headsets. Yeah. So when you put it all together, what you get is, uh, okay, fourteen or $1,600. I think that gives you an idea of the floor of a product like this. Like, even and I don't think it's sixteen hundred dollars, right? Like I don't think that's it. I think I think that you're looking at uh, a two thousand twenty five hundred dollar product, like out the door, mm-hmm. really. And that's if they don't, uh, which which we've said. Like I I don't know where their bar is in terms of like the red zone of like you don't go down here in terms of margin, but um, even if they go into the red zone of margin, it's going to be an extremely expensive product. But on the other side, this is what we've been hearing all along. This is an expensive product because it's an expensive product to make. 
And that's because Apple has really approached this as the spare no expense, state of the art, best in class. This is what VR and AR can be product. And then the challenge is from here, they're going to need to iterate and they're going to need to improve things while also trying to get the price down. And all the rumors are that there's a second model stream that is going to use the same platform, but be a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm. And they... They have chosen to go out with the expensive one. If you want this to work, you've got to blow people away. And I think that's the strategy. Yep. If, if I if we're if we are flies on the wall inside Apple, and by the way, Apple do something about these flies. Why are there They're flies in this meeting the Um it, but if if we are flies on the wall of the Apple, that's gotta be the argument, right? That's gotta be the argument is this is a huge thing for the future. We're invested in it. We think in the long term, this is going to be on everybody's faces. Uh, in the short term, the tech isn't all there yet. But if we're going to go out with something with the tech not all there yet, we want it to be the best and define this category and show yeah. what is possible and blow people away so that this category continues to exist and that we have set the bar in the category. And we and probably we have set the bar in a way that will make it very difficult for anyone else to meet what we've done right like that that's got to be part of it too is not only are we saying this is going to be the best experience ever but it's like who's gonna match it it's meta right no Hmm, maybe not because look everyone that has wanted to try vr you know by and large will have gotten an opportunity millions of people around the world have, have had their first vr experience where it's like wow you know this is amazing. I love how good this feels. This is I'm so immersed right now, all that kind of stuff. But now Apple has to come in and leapfrog, right? They have to come in and be like, no, this is what you can do. We'll blow you away some other way. And then they can move forward from there. We've made this and I've made this comparison before. The original iPhone was inconceivably expensive for what smartphones cost at the time. Right, like mm-hmm. you got smartphones for free. Your phone was free with your contract, or it was like a couple of hundred dollars or whatever. It's like no, it's an eight hundred dollar smartphone. It's why there's that clip of Steve Ballmer laughing so much because it was so expensive compared to the competition, and that's where they've got to go again. They did it then for a reason because it blew you away and you wanted one, and they need to be able to get people like me, like you, like MKBHD to say I've tried this thing. And it, you cannot believe how good it is, right? Like, that's what they need. And that's why you've got to go expensive. But now they've got to make sure the software meets it. Like, that's the thing. Uh, John Gruber was questioning on Daring Fireball, how on earth is Apple going to fit everything that they need to into WWDC? If you've got iOS, iPadOS, macOS, watchOS, and new Macs as, like, just the basics, and that's, you're letting things go at that point, how are you going to fit it in? Friend of the show, Zach Knox, who puts together the draft scorecards for us, uh, went through and looked at the run times of the previous six uh, WWDCs. Pre-COVID, three years in a row, over two hours. Since 2020, with the virtual, well, like the video events, all under two hours. This is going to be two and a half hours, right? Like, there's just no way to do it. I don't know. I think two hours is always the goal for them. And I think that cutting things out is a lot easier and compressing things. I think it's going to be super high uh, compression level. Yep. And let's not forget, the keynote is not the end, right? Mm-hmm. The keynote is the, we want to show this to the masses. And they have this great footnote section, which is the State of the Union. And then they've got the the rest of the notes, which are the rest of the week, right? So really, 
you've got some variability in terms of what you can put in the keynote. You can really cut it down and say, we've got some amazing things and you blast through them and you leave a bunch of stuff on the website because it doesn't matter. And the developers are paying attention to State of the Union. They're paying attention to all the sessions. You're trying to get, because if you think of it as a an event for everyone, an event for a wider audience, there is a limit to how much information you can dump on them, Right. So you do two and a half hours. I I could make the argument that two and a half hours is just too long and it doesn't matter how much stuff. If you've got that much stuff, you have two choices. Pull things out, like don't announce them, which would be like other products or uh, move it to the auxiliary keynote, which is State of the Union or compress. But like nobody wants, my argument would be nobody wants to sit through two and a half hours. And that 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 among the mainstream and that if you want them to form an opinion other than this is really boring, you don't want it to go more than two hours. And on top of that, you undoubtedly have saved the headset for last. And the last thing you want is to try everyone's patience with a traditional keynote video. And then at the end, when it's almost two hours, give them another half hour of your most important thing. Right. So if I had to guess, and we'll, we'll have to do a draft choice about this, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll set the over under and all that, but I'm just saying for the purposes of, of, of not outside of competition, I think they want to hit two hours. It doesn't mean that they will, they may end up brutally at two ten or two twenty, but I think they're going to try very hard to go to two hours. And that would be my argument. Why is that even if they're, it's full of stuff after two hours, people are tired. They, they don't care anymore. So, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've got three hours worth of stuff. People are only going to pay attention to two hours worth of stuff. So get it under two hours. I think personally, they will cut. They will edit. They will make sure they've got all the things that only have to be there. And it will still be over two hours. I just, I just don't see like a way to, to add another like OS and hardware. Like it's, that's an hour on its own. Right, like just the headset, I feel like, but we'll see. Yeah, but I, I think the OS releases for the other platforms though can be really short. I think that's what's going to happen, right? I think they're going to be like, "Hey, we've got new, we've got new platforms here." And in fact, the question is, will they even do iPhone, iPad, Mac OS, Apple TV, or will they say, "Let's talk about our platforms and talk about features across all the platforms"? Because right, that was the thing that we've been talking about the last few years: is at what point do they change the game and talk about iOS and Mac OS and iPad OS sort of like interchangeably instead of ha- doing what they've done the last few years, which is like artificially withhold features from one so they can announce it in the other and say, "Oh yes, and also this works on the previous ones that I, I that I've already mentioned and the ones I haven't mentioned yet." Right? Like they could structure it differently. They could keep it simple. It's supposed to be a fairly light year. In terms of all of this, so I wonder if they could they could get that down uh, more than usual. I feel like the reporting changed from that. Like that was the original one, and then you know the last few months we've had all this other stuff, right? Like here's the journaling app, and like da da da. Like I think it, there is more than was initially expected. Keep in mind though, what's the purpose? I, I would come back to what's the purpose of this event, and. The purpose of this event is to have a big stage to do big ideas, right? And yes, to launch normally it's to launch the new OS cycles. But like if the purpose of this event is to launch the headset, the new OS cycles can can wait, right? They can wait for State of the Union, they can wait for press release, and they can wait for the fall when they ship, right? Like it's not it's not necessary 
to detail every new feature of your operating system in June in one time slot. It's really not. It's nice and they do it, but like if you've got the headset there, like you don't you just don't have to. You've got all summer and then you're going to have to reintroduce it in the fall, right? Where they do the iPhone event and they explain that all the features of the new operating system at the iPhone event were all like, we know, we heard that in June, but the rest of the world doesn't care. Mm-hmm. They forgot or they didn't pay attention because it doesn't matter. And everybody's going to be paying attention to the headset. So I can make an argument that the uh, the other OS stuff will be perfunctory because they can get away with it. And then all of us nerds will be like, oh God, what? but what? what's on the pages? And then we'll be looking at the State of the Union and we'll be watching all the videos and we'll be pouring through all those pages. And that's fine because that's us nerds. The rest of the world is going to be headset, 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 and that's kind of the most important part. MacRumors is reporting that Apple has filed trademarks via a shell company for the expected XROS, but also XR Pro OS. Bruce. <laughs> Bruce. So look at the URL that's in our show notes. And like if you click the link in the show notes, you can look at the URL in the title bar. It looks so funny written out. Like XRPR O-O-S. Zapruz! They're just covering yeah, their bases, right? Like, yeah, XROS so. is bad enough. XR Pro OS, that's just... It looks bad yeah. written and is horrible yeah. to say. So at that it's point, terrible. why would you do it, right? Zapruz! Yeah, I think I think this is one of those like legal covering everything. Yep. But I love that there's a shell company registering these trademarks. This that's Apple's thing. They go to various countries and register trademarks, yep. and because of international trademark law, you can just deep dive. LLC yep. has applied for all of these various things in Jamaica and in Argentina and in New Zealand, and like they're just all over the place. And that's their strategy now, right? Is just flood the zone with various names. It works. If you enjoy this show and you want some more of it, why don't you subscribe to Upgrade Plus? You'll hear no ads. You'll get bonus content each and every week. And you get access to the Relay FM members' Discord. You help support what we're doing and you get great content from us in return. Uh, there are also, as well, right now, if you're a Relay FM member, there's a bunch of special bonus episodes uh, being released. We did another crossover episode, an RPG crossover adventure with CGB Grey with our game master, Tony Sindelar. That will be coming out sometime in June. TBC, I'm working on it. <laughs> it, it takes time. Did you know WWDC is coming up? It is, but I'm working on it. What? Uh, but everybody gets access to this stuff. Uh, but you, as a, if you subscribe to Upgrade Plus, you get the longer ad-free versions of Upgrade on top of it all. It's just $5 a month or $50 a year. You help support the show and get great content in return. Go to getupgradeplus.com. That is getupgradeplus.com, and you can sign up today. Thank you if you do. Let's finish out today's episode with some Ask Upgrade questions. Now that Apple is getting ready to release their Pro Apps, Final Cut Pro, and Logic for the iPad, do you think they will release Xcode this year at WWDC? I don't. I mean, it would be great, but I don't. And the reason I don't is it feels like there is so much complexity in Xcode that is tied to so much that's running on Mac OS that to bring it all to iPad, I, I, I'm not sure iPad OS just has the stuff to do it. Mm-hmm. And we see with Playgrounds that what they've been instead been trying to do is create 
and a development environment that's capable of submitting to the App Store, but doesn't have all those encumbrances on iPad OS. At some point, Playgrounds can't be called Playgrounds. At some point, Playgrounds has to be Xcode or something like it and be a more, you know, an even richer development environment. But if they released Xcode for the iPad, I think it would look more like Playgrounds. I think it would not be full Xcode. I think that that's where they're headed with that. Um, I prepare, I'm prepared to be surprised, but I just feel like there's so much about Xcode that is designed with the knowledge of what the Mac is capable of and Mac OS it ha- gives them access to as app developers. Because Apple, you know, Apple, it doesn't matter. Apple can make OS changes for its apps. That's what they're apparently doing with Final Cut and Logic. But uh, there are limits, I'd say. There are limits to that. I feel like maybe it's something that would need, like, a we've rethought Xcode, right? And then if they've done that, maybe they could do an iPad version. Because you're right, it does feel like it's just maybe too much underlying structure that you wouldn't be able to get a convincing version of it on iPadOS, right? Like, you could do it, but it's going to be missing so much stuff that yeah. at that point, yeah. is it even worth it? Is it even worth calling it Xcode? I yeah. think that's the question. I mean, we'll see what people think about Final Cut, right? Like, Final Cut obviously does not have everything. Um, it's clear from the announcement, does not have everything that it does on the Mac, but they called it Final Cut. So this is the question, like, are you just bringing pain on yourself by saying, well, this is what we call Xcode on the iPad and it's not Xcode and everybody's like snooty about it. And it's like, this yep. isn't Xcode. More, I'd say more likely that Apple is working on a next generation development environment that will run on the iPad that might run on the Mac too. Uh, that is, uh, you know, for the next generation of, of software, whether yep. that's based on playgrounds or it's based on something completely different. I think that's more likely than that they would bring what we consider Xcode to the iPad. I feel like it's fair to assume that at some point in Apple's future, the development tools will be Swift and Swift UI, like that will be all that is. I feel like you need to get there. Yeah, I think that's right. And certainly, certainly if, well, we've got this legacy version, you know, the, that's Xcode that still runs on macOS and you can use that. But if you're not using that old stuff, we have this new development environment that you can use, something like that, right? John asks, do you think Tapbots will release an Ivory-esque client for Blue Sky? Um. Maybe I feel like if it wins, <laughs> or right, like if may like it feels like, yeah, why not? But there, there's already. I don't know. Did you see that there's a blue sky uh, bridge for for Mastodon? Mm-mm. Uh, yeah, there, there is a project. I'm gonna have to find it, but um, there's a bridge that lets you log in in Ivory. It's sort of designed for Ivory to blue sky as a as a separate account and it works i i did it this weekend it totally works so i guess the question is what's the opportunity for third-party clients i think i think it makes sense as long as it doesn't break the metaphors that that ivory has already had and the advantage of of uh them doing it natively instead of using a bridge is that they could map things maybe better um when i see the people at the icon factory talking about what they're going to do following uh twitterific uh, I, this is the kind of thing I think too, which is multiple formats, multiple services in one sort of like social media app that 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 can connect to open formats. Um, but 
Yes, Skybridge is the name of it. Skybridge.fly.dev. And I have used that over the weekend. And I, I don't know if it'll keep working. I don't know. I, I don't know. But uh, it totally works. At least this weekend it worked for me. Uh, and I that means I have Blue Sky in Ivory just as a separate account. And it, it, it it's very interesting. So I think I think you'll see stuff like that. I mean, that will probably just become a thing you could do anyway, right? Like that just feels like part of the blue sky thing. Yeah. In fact, I would be I would actually think it would be more that Ivory would get blue sky support than that there would be a separate client yeah. for blue sky because they seem close enough that maybe you should just sort of like have an app that does them instead of having to, because the amount of overhead to build a, a separate app for that other social network. Uh, but who knows? But I, it certainly seems very possible. Because there's also, as like Joe's mentioned in the live Discord too, that there's an Instagram project, right? It's called Project Barcelona is what they're calling it, which is also their attempt to join the text-based decentralized universe. Uh-huh. I feel like it's going to be... I think I saw somebody tweet about this recently. I had a post about this recently. The idea of like in 20 years and, and why do they call it Ivory? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, why is this app called Ivory? Yep. Well, son, there was a, <laughs> there was this thing called this Mastodon. Mas- it all started with this thing called Mastodon. Mm-hmm. which Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, and, and maybe they do change the name over time to make it something else, or maybe they just leave it because it's gotten enough cachet and enough loyal users that it doesn't matter. But that's, yeah, I think the beauty of this, whether you're the Icon Factory, which has not released something but has been talking about it, or whether you're Tapbots, which has released something and is obviously thinking about this stuff too, is if you've got a bunch of open protocols for text-based Twitter-like things and... Uh, they're similar enough that you could support them all in one app. Maybe that's the direction that they'll go. Maybe not. Maybe they'll be different enough that they're best served. But I know that I I prefer having not like three different apps that I have to juggle. And I'll also make a wild prediction, which is at some point, the remnants of Twitter will be owned by somebody who does this. <laughs> I I would not be surprised if at some point Twitter ends up just being another endpoint for this text-based chat Ooh. because I have a hard time believing. No, like, well, like I said, I think I think it's the remnants of Twitter. Yeah. When they've when they've been sold off or begun bankrupt or God. whatever. Um what a result well, that would somebody be will find value. Of the whole thing, right? Of just like mm. that's just I mean seems realistic, but like that is just like a wild thing to consider that it just ends right. up it ends up becoming one endpoint for its replacement. I will say as well, you mentioned Icon Factory. At this point, it seems very prescient in their idea of like, we're just not going to jump to Mastodon. Like, we're just going to wait out a little bit and see what happens because we have a, you know, ideas that are maybe bigger than this. And that's what kind of what's happening already, right? Of like, well, every, it was Mastodon, but now Blue Sky's here and now this is here and now this is here. Maybe what we will need eventually is some kind of app closer to an RSS reader in a way, which is just like, mm-hmm. it just pulls in a bunch of sources and can display those to you. And Colin asks, would you like Apple to do a one-time numbering alignment across all of its product lines and software so that iOS 18 is an iPhone 18 impaired with watchOS 18? Or would you go a different, with a different scheme altogether? Don't forget the A18 processor, mm-hmm. which is another 
teenage number that is out there with uh, with Apple stuff in it. It's very confusing. I like what Samsung did when they just went to the calendar year for their pro- yep. for their products, and I think Apple should do this. I agree. I agree. It would be much easier if in 2023 what we got was iOS 23, iPhone 23, and the A23 processor. Yep. Super simple. That would be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. It could even be, dare I say it, the M23 processor. <laughs> I know it's big numbers and all of that, but if they're tied to the year or the model year, if you want, whatever, but I hate that they're all different. That's what kills me, is that they're all on basically annual cycles. Maybe not the M, but the A series, the iOS and iPadOS numbers and the iPhone numbers. They're all on annual cycles. And so they're incrementing together, but they're at slightly different places in terms of their numbers. I I really would like them to line it all up. Mm -hmm. And, And one way to do that would just be to tie it to the year. You could also talk contextually too, then, right? You wouldn't necessarily, you could just say this year's iPhone, and you're just like, we know what yeah. that means, which we already yeah. say anyway. And yeah, I would love that. I think that would be wonderful. I don't think they'll do it, but. No, but I, it would be I'm nice to dream. Mm-hmm. If you would like to send in your Ask Upgrade questions or your feedback or your follow up, go to upgradefeedback.com and you could send them in there. If before next week's episode you would like to read Jason's work, go to sixcolors.com. You can also hear his podcast at theincomparable.com and here on Relay FM. You can listen to my shows here on Relay FM as well and check out my work at cortexbrand.com. You can find us on Mastodon. Jason is at jsnell on zeppelin.flights. You can find me as at imike on mike.social. And you can also find this show as at Upgrade on RelayFM.social. You can watch video clips of this show on TikTok and Instagram. We are Upgrade Relay on both, or you can see these on Mastodon too. Thank you to our members who support us with Upgrade Plus. Go to GetUpgradePlus.com and support the show. Thank you to Ladder and ZocDoc for their support of this week's episode. And most of all, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with the WWDC Draft. Until then... Mm-hmm. Say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. <laughs>